Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Uh, We have got an interview today, and this one is with one of the authors of a book put out by Museum Hack. And if you have not heard of Museum Hack, it is a company that offers alternative museum tours. And we're going to get into that in the interview for a bit more of an explanation of what that company is. But in short, their approach to museums and history is very irreverent and very playful. Based on the success of Museum Hack's history tours, their team decided to write a book One of the authors, Haley Milliman, joined Holly to talk about the book, which is titled Museum Hack's Guide to History's Fiercest Females. Uh, Full disclosure. So I mentioned at one point in the course of this interview a Museum Hack tour of the Met that I went on. That was back in September. That tour was comped by the company, so that was a freebie for me, and I took my husband. Well, and I might as well just disclose that I was invited to go on a tour, but I could not make the schedule work. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I will say uh, for a museum like the Met in particular, they are not paying me to say anything about them. But it was perfect for my husband because that museum is overwhelming the first time you go. Mm-hmm. And he had never been. So it was great to have someone go, here are some cool things in this museum. And it made it a lot more easy for him to kind of take in that incredible large space <laughs> in a way that we had a helper. It was really lovely. We also have one other quick note, um, especially if you are listening in a classroom or with younger listeners. There are a couple of words in this episode that Holly and I don't typically say. There are words that are commonly allowed on broadcast television and are in the context of these tours, but everybody has different boundaries of what language they would prefer to use around their kids and students. So if you think that might apply to you, a great idea to check this one out first to make sure everything is okay for your listeners. Uh, There's also an offer that Museum Hack is really graciously extending to our listeners at the end of the interview the name of that tour contains the words that we're talking about. So we can't just bleep it out because then you wouldn't know the name of the tour. Yeah, so be sure to go ahead and listen all the way to the end before you make your decision about whether you want to share this with younger history buffs in your life. But we will jump right in to uh, Haley and I discussing both Museum Hack and this book. So first, now that I have you, Haley, uh, will you just tell us a little bit about what Museum Hack is? Yeah, so we are a company that leads unconventional tours of the world's best museums. Um, We were founded about, I think, six years ago now by Nick Gray. Um, Nick has, like, a a really funny story. So basically, he had always kind of hated museums. He thought they were super boring. He never, ever went to one. Um, And then he was going on a date with this girl, first date, um, and she suggested going to the Met with him at night. Um, And so they went, and Nick fell, we like to say that Nick fell in love on that date, um, but not, unfortunately, with the girl, but with the museum. Um, And so something about, like, (laughs) something about being there with all of the lights um, and the girl um, who he was with, um, the girl he was on the date with, told him kind of all of these stories about her you know, favorite pieces at the Met and having that like personal connection where he was hearing her experience of it rather than just like reading the placards or kind of like hearing an impersonal account of it really connected with him. And so, like I said, he like totally fell in love with museums um, and became like obsessed with them and spent all of his free time at museums and basically just kind of started bringing all of his friends on like little mini tours for himself. Like he'd go and learn um, about like things he wanted to do and would like tell his friends basically like, Oh, like here's, 
these interesting pieces of artwork that I'm into. Um, and so, yeah, so it started from there and then we've grown to a company, I think with over 75 employees now, we do tours in six different cities. Um, we have so much fun and we basically just take people, bring them to the museum. Um, and each of all of our tours are very personalized, very centered along that like initial experience that Nick had, which is like learning what a person loves about the museum versus like just learning about like all of the artifacts and the art and like, you know, a laundry list of names. It's really about like, what's the experience and the personal connection that everybody has. Um, so we do that. That's like our, our kind of main umbrella. We also do corporate tours. We do scavenger hunts. Um, and we have now just written a book. <laughs> so we're kind of doing a lot of different things all about like sharing stories um, about history and art and culture and science that are uh, that we're passionate about. I love it because it makes art and art history so alive for people in a completely new way. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like take it because it's like these pieces they live there, but like it's it's bringing like you just just like you said, like it's bringing them to life, um, and it's really like leading with that. Like, why does this matter? And not like why does it matter in the large sense. Like, why does it matter to you and to me and just like sitting here talking about it? Um, which like I think we found just like makes all the difference in terms of engagement for an audience. So you mentioned that you have a book now, which uh, you are the main writer on. How did you guys decide that like, okay, we've got this tour thing down. Now it's time to make a book. Yeah. So, you know, we were sitting, um, and first of all, I'll just say that it's a very collaborative effort. <laughs> um, so I, I'm like, I don't want to take full credit for writing it in any way. Um, but we, uh, we basically um, were sitting down and we were talking about how, you know, we're so thrilled that we have, we're able to do these tours in like six different cities across the United States. Um, but that being said, like that still leaves many, many people who aren't in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago um, who just like, aren't getting to come on a museum hack tour um, and aren't getting to like experience that type of storytelling. Um, so we really started last year kind of making an effort to tell the same sorts of stories that we tell in museums on our blog, first and foremost. Um, our blog has been like pretty like, just like a standard kind of like corporate blog, you know, like talking about promotions and like, you know, work we had done with museums, but not really like the storytelling aspect. Um, so when I came on board, we started doing storytelling blog pieces just to kind of like experiment and see like, Hey, do you, are people into this? Like do people like this? Um, and then like with the goal of making eventually museum hack a household name. Um, and it became really clear that people like did like the blog post, um, and did really resonate with that storytelling and that, that storytelling not only resonated like on the tours in museums, but also, uh, in written work as well. Um, and so then we were like, well, you know, this is like the, we've been doing the blog. This is great. Like let's, figure out another medium where we can not only have the stories, but also have this original artwork um, and kind of package it all up into something that you can hold in your hands. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of how it came about initially. So this first book is all about women, and I'm wondering how you decided, it seems like the decision-making process is pretty collaborative. How did you all decide that that was the best plan for your first book to focus on women? Yeah, so it's uh, definitely like a very collaborative process. I will say though that I I was pretty selfish in like pulling for women. I think those are like the stories that really resonated with me as I was writing on the blog that I just like loved writing. Um, and since I was kind of spearheading the project uh, initially, I was like, okay, well, when we're coming to a topic, like these are the ones that I love. So, um, so let's go with those. Uh, but also, you know, we 
worked with, um, or we had like looked and seen what our, what was resonating with our audience in terms of stories that we were sharing on Facebook and Instagram and that type of thing. And, um, like hands down, we would see that like almost every single time we shared a story about a woman, no matter like what the background, no matter if she was in science, if she was, you know, like a historical figure, a political figure in art, um, they would just always resonate so deeply with our audiences. Um, and so it just became kind of like, a no-brainer. Um, and also, obviously, within like the last year or two, the like the climate on recognizing women's achievements, acknowledging the struggles and the pain that women have gone through, as well as their many and like myriad contributions to society, has been such an important part of the conversations that are happening worldwide over the last year. Um, so it's also just kind of resonated and fit really well in with that. Now, I have been on a museum hack tour, and I know that it is, as you said, it's very personal, and it's got this nice casual air to it. And I'm wondering how that influenced how you wrote the book. Were you always intentionally thinking, we have to keep that kind of of tone to the whole book, or did you play with other different ideas? Yeah, um, we definitely wanted to keep that tone. So one of the things that we work with with our guides and then with our writers is um, we believe very strongly that people need to be kind of entertained before they can be educated. Um, And that goes into like, you know, entertainment isn't necessarily just like, oh, let's, you know, make people laugh. It's also like establishing that connection, right? Um, And so a lot of times it's done through humor, um, you know, because a lot of times there's like funny scenarios and funny stories. Um, But sometimes that uh, entertainment piece is done by creating like very meaningful personal connections as well. Um, so while we do like tend to work with humor a lot, it also um, it also lands on like things that really resonate with the writer or with the tour guide. Um, and so, yeah, it was absolutely 100 percent a very conscious choice on our part to make the stories resonate with the writers um, and to like lead from a place of like what's important to the writers and what do they want to tell about each of these women. Um, and that's a lot of what the writing process looks like is like each of the writers being like, okay, you know, I know that I'm writing this story about this woman, but what do I want to tell about her versus like, you know, I, we could list off a litany of facts for everybody, but we really want to tell, like, to make it a story and to make it powerful to like foster that connection with the audience. It's like, okay, what resonated with me? So yeah, a hundred percent like the same approach that we have with leading with entertainment and then bringing in the piece of education. So all, everything we write, we want to, you know, make people interested and want make them teach them something and have them want to learn more. Um, but we, we believe that that becomes so much more powerful after you have that kind of initial connection and through entertainment. So it's interesting uh, because they are, the stories in the book are still pretty comprehensive. It's not like people have focused on one thing to the exclusion of the the overall story. So I'm wondering what the research process is like and how you balance those two things. Yeah, so it's definitely personalized for the writers. So I'll speak to mine first. I think what I tend to do, um, and so typically, I guess I'll back up, typically for each of the women, we're going through like a, you know, a high level kind of overview of their life. But that being said, none of our stories are that long. Um, so, you know, they're like around 2,000 to 3,000 words each. And so with each of these women, you could easily write multiple books on their whole lives and getting into like the nitty gritty of decision making and like a lot of the political nuance or, you know, what basically like the larger picture of what was going on around them. Um, so while we are giving like an overview of their lives and like, I like to think of it um, as like kind of like a greatest hits or highlights of what, what they were going on and what they were kind of most known for and also what most resonated with the writer. And so for me, 
my process is kind of to just initially start out by reading just some short summaries of the person's life. So that might be like looking on Britannica or, you know, just like looking at like a very short synopsis of like, you know, what would you say about this woman in a page or two pages? Um, and what I'll do is read a number of different sources that are kind of like that and see what sticks out to me. So like, what do I remember from the first couple of times that I've just done this profile of this person? Um, and then when I think about the things that like resonate with me and that have stuck with me, that's where I'm going to dig deeper and try to tease out those parts of the story that I have that personal connection to. And I know uh, it, it actually sounds a lot like what we do when we're starting a research uh, project on our show. So I appreciate that completely. Yep. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to hear how Haley and her team work to keep their stories accurate, but still retain that tone that their tours have that tends to be a little bit lighter in nature. Uh, but first, we are going to take a quick sponsor break. A lot of what happens when we're doing research is that, you know, we're kind of trying to, like, tease out the realities of an event or a person's life from kind of the the mythologized versions that get shared. And sometimes those one-pagers leave things out or they just gloss over the nuance of something. So I'm wondering how you make sure you're getting the accurate story, which sometimes will reveal itself to be much darker or more unsettling than we maybe were taught growing up. But you also keep the content pretty light. How do you work that out? Yeah, I think a lot of it is handled on a case-by-case basis. And I do think that there are some stories where um, we we always talk about, I guess this, for me, this resonates mostly at the end, right? Like it's like at the end of the piece, we like to talk about having like a mic drop moment, right? Like of having something that's like, you know, like a punch at the end that's going to keep the story with the person. And you having been on a museum hack tour, you think back to it, like our guides, do that all the time like they'll end like on a joke or a high note or like they'll have like a one-liner at the end before they like speed you off onto the next um exhibit and so that's a principle that we like to apply to the content that we write as well um but that being said what that mic shop is really will vary from person to person so like Sometimes it is funny. Sometimes it's a funny mic drop because like the larger story surrounding this woman is like kind of ridiculous if there is just kind of humorous, but sometimes it's just not funny at all. Um, like sometimes um, we wrote about one woman, uh, Anna Koana, who was like her land was basically completely sacked by settlers and um, she was from Haiti and she, you know, like all of her people were slaughtered and it's not funny. You know, it, there's, there's not a lot of humor that you can take from the message of that story. So the ending of that story isn't funny because it's, it's not funny. There's no humor in it. Instead, it's um, a call to reflect to people about, you know, why don't we, why, why do we have a Columbus day and we don't celebrate her? You know, why, why have you never heard her name before? And that's the mic drop of like, what's true to the story um, and what's true to the narrative of this person. Um, and so ending on that kind of like mic drop moment will change depending on who it is and what, what we can take from them. Um, yeah. It, it, we had another story about um, uh, a transgender Native American warrior. And uh, that is also it's not a funny story. Um, it's like, it doesn't end. It doesn't end with humor. It ends with a lot of sadness and a lot of pain. And so uh, being true to that um, is very important to us as well. So you've mentioned a couple stories, but I wanted to get from you maybe what two or three uh, of the women that are in the book 
are your favorites or were your favorite either to research or write about or uh, read about when you were, you know, kind of looking over what other people had written for the book? Like, which ones are the ones that really kind of hit your heart? Yeah, so I love the story of King Shi. I, like, I myself half Chinese. Um, And so I just, I think her story is so cool. Um, and I like personally, I'm like, how can I adapt this into like a young adult fantasy novel? Um, but I just think her story is so cool. She um, was a pirate who basically like ruled over the seas around China um, with the red flag fleet. She just was like such a badass. And her story is so crazy. And we hear so much about so many like male pirates in the Caribbean, um, both fictional and both fictional and real. But we, I had never heard of her before. And her story is just so cool. And she like just ended like her life she didn't even get in trouble for being a pirate basically she just got to like hang up her flag and then like open a gambling house and live to a ripe old age <laughs> so i think she's just like she's just like such a badass um and she like started off life on like a floating brothel so she like truly like from the bottom to the top um and so she has always resonated with me i love her story um i also uh wrote one about a queen named Tamiris who basically like overtook like one of the world's like greatest conquerors at the time. Um, she was just like beat him on the battlefield and again, like never heard of her name. Um, and then the story I was kind of referencing earlier, uh, about the person's name is Ashtish and, um, it's not actually, it's like a moniker, not an actual name. Um, but that story was just like, it was extremely haunting. And, um, I had never, as another, another thing that I had never read about or really known anything about. Um, and just learning about that really stuck with me. Um, and again, like it stuck with me in a completely different way than learning about Qingxia and how like great her (laughs) like life was. It was just a reminder of like, why it's so important to tell these stories um, and why it's so important to reflect on a lot of narratives that have been silenced or just never, um, never featured in the first place. Were there any that you had hoped you could include in the book that either got edited out or were just never going to be part of the project that maybe you, you are keeping to the side for the future? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so many. Um, I mean, I, there are so many, there's, I was like, I'm a huge Hamilton fan. So I was going back and I'm like including one or three of the Skylar sisters. (laughs) (laughs) I had one on Peggy there for like so long. Um, Cause she also is like a total badass and like defended Eliza, like a, she was like pregnant and like defended their family from um, a Tory like hunting party. Like it was just, she's crazy. She's like actually like super badass. Um, Not at all as characterized as she is in Hamilton musical. Um, But so I had Peggy in there for a while. There's another Revolutionary War uh, story about Agent 355. Um, there's just, there's so many. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot. Um, there was definitely enough to fill like hundreds of books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we wanted to keep it like, we wanted to keep it, uh, we wanted to really, um, especially for this first one, just make sure that we were representing stories from all over the world and a bunch of different cultures. Um, and so that was something that really was important to us is making sure we have people from like all corners of the globe kind of represented as best we can. Um, and so because of that, we had to sometimes like prioritize other people just to make sure that everybody's represented. Um, and so hopefully for round two or three or four, we can include more. Perfect. Uh, I'm wondering what you're hoping, you know, when people get this book and they're paging through it, uh, when they're done with it, at least the initial round, what is your your sort of dearest hope in terms of what their takeaway will be? Yeah, I hope 
first and foremost that they're just like, wow, history is really fun. Um, I have like personally always loved history and I've always loved history because even before I worked with Museum Hack as like a young girl, I always sought out stories that I could connect with. Um, I read like the Dear America Diaries as like an elementary school kid and like loved that. And that was like my first intro into history was like learning these like fictionalized accounts of people who like lived in certain time periods. And like I made that connection and then learned about the larger history. Um, So beyond anything, I hope that people take away that history is super fascinating and really important. Um, And then I also hope that they take away that like there are just there are so many women out there who have accomplished so much and been done so many amazing things um, that we have never heard of. And it's so worthwhile to read about them and to learn about them and to find them because they're literally in any part of the world in any time period in history, they're amazing, badass women doing amazing things. Um, And sometimes terrible things too, doing amazing things, doing terrible things and just like living normally. Um, And I think it's so important to like hear and find their stories. Yeah, that's one of the things that always comes up on our show, and it kind of becomes my big soapbox issue of, like, I want people to understand that no matter what they think they are living through or how unique the times we may be in are, something similar has always happened before, uh, or there has always been someone like them before that they could identify with, or, you know, we're all making history all the time. So there is, the odds are good that someone out there uh, has been through something similar or is has dealt with something similar to what you're dealing with, whether that's on a personal scale or, you know, a national scale or a global scale. Yep. We've all been doing all kinds of things. Yep. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that there are certainly plenty of uh, great women's stories that could fill many, many, many books. Uh, do you guys have an eye already on on what your future book projects will be? Yes, we do. I can't top secret. <laughs> um, I can't 100% reveal what it is. Um, but I will say that we do have an eye um, and are just kind of like starting the process of considering what stories will be included. Um, and I guess I will just like leave you with a tidbit that it will be, it'll be very suited to Museum Hacks, like a reverent voice and passion for um, like engaging storytelling. I love so, it. I'll leave it with that. I love it. <laughs> This next segment of the interview is really casual because once Holly learned that Haley is a lifelong history buff, she just wanted to know what some of her favorite historical subjects are. Before we get into that, though, we are going to pause for a quick sponsor break. Now, just because you mentioned that you have loved history all your life, uh, I will hit you with the surprise question. Uh, I'm wondering, like, outside of this project and and maybe even outside of women's history, is there something that is just one of your favorite pet topics in history? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I, like, go straight to Tudor England. I was, like, obsessed <laughs> with Tudor England. And, like, I have so many books on... Henry VIII and all of his wives. And like, I aced my AP Euro exam. I was just like, I was so into it. It was so fascinating. And I had different periods of time where I was like obsessed with each of the different wives and learning like all about them. And then also like Queen Elizabeth, like just basically that like whole specific branch of the family from Henry VIII to Elizabeth one. Um, I was always just like, I could, 
I could never stop reading about them. <laughs> uh, but then I also took Latin for a very long time. So Roman history and Greek history and like uh, Greek and Roman mythology are also, I'm also very passionate about those as well. Um, but they don't have quite as many history books about those as I do about the tutors. I think I have like most <laughs> that were ever written. Just got them for Christmas for like years on end. <laughs> what is it about the tutors that you love so much? I honestly don't know. I think Elizabeth, like, I, Elizabeth was, like, and her mother, Anne Boleyn, were just, like, so fascinating to me. I think it's, like, something about, they were just, like, so powerful in such a unique way for the time. It just, like, really fascinated me. And it. I think women who, like, or and not even just necessarily women, but just people who have to play, like, games like that like court intrigue games are just so fascinating because I would be so bad at it <laughs> like I was just like I would never be able to like I would never be able to play into like the palace intrigue I would never be able to like like with like learning about like how Elizabeth would like like just like balance like marriage proposals for decades I was like I would never be able to do no that. me like, either no way I I have joked on the show before that when I look at like the the lives of royals, particularly in those types of scenarios where there are a lot of power grabs going on, where I'm like, who wants that job? Yeah. I don't understand it. I wouldn't I want any part of any of that. Um, I could not possibly handle it. Yeah, I also always joke too. Like my favorite foods are like bread and cheese. So like in all those books, they'd be like, they just sat at the table with like a hunk of bread and hard cheese, and I'm like, that sounds amazing. Like I want to eat that for like every meal. So something. I had a very similar thing as a kid, not from a history book, but reading Heidi, because they always went up into the mountains and. they always had bread and cheese and a, a little a bag of milk. And I w- for the yep. longest time, that was all I wanted to eat because it was something I read in a thing that I thought was cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. I'm always like, oh, yeah, like I would I would do really well in medieval England. <laughs> like, just like, give me, give me hard bread and cheese and I'd be happy. So. <laughs> I love it. Uh, on that yummy, yummy note, uh, thank you so yeah. much, Haley. I really appreciate you taking time to talk about this project with us. It's such a fun read, and I think it's sort of, uh, it's interesting because it's a great intro, I think, for people that maybe haven't looked at much of these histories in depth before, or even uh, at all. Uh, It's such a great little, like, opening the door and going, here's what's actually cool about all this stuff. Uh, So I think your wish will come true in that people will walk away getting a, a, a better understanding of how interesting it all is. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's just my hope that you, something resonates with you and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to learn everything I can about this. Um, And on that note, we just wanted to extend to your listeners, if anybody purchased a copy of the book between now and the end of February, um, you can send us an email copy of your receipt and you'll get a free ticket to um, any of our badass bitches tours in the city of your choice. Um, So just send us a copy of your receipt and you can keep on learning about badass women um, in one of the six cities we do tours in. I love it. That's so cool. Thank you so much. All right, Miss Haley, we appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. We are absolutely going to have that info on the Museum Hack Tour that Haley mentioned the offer for on our show page. So if you need that info again, uh, you can just check it out there. You don't need to, you know, pull over and write it down anywhere. Also, lots and lots of thanks to Haley Milliman and Museum Hack for sharing such a unique and very unstuffy approach to history today. 
You can find Museum Hack online at museumhack.com to check out all the tours that they offer and the cities they offer them in. They are also on Twitter at Museum Hack. Are you ready for some listener mail about food? I sure am, especially since it's about food. <laughs> since, since Haley and I diverged to talk about food that we were inspired to eat because of history and books, uh, I thought it might be a good a good one to match up with this. This is uh, from our listener, Michael, and it is about uh, our Escoffier episode and particularly about frog's legs. He wrote, Hi, Holly and Tracy. I just listened to your episode on Auguste Escoffier, and you mentioned about the English apprehension to eating frog's legs, and Auguste's consequent hiding of the fact that what was in a dish he was serving uh, was frog's legs by calling it something else. You seem to agree that it did sound disgusting. I had the same idea. That is before I actually had them. Stay tuned. I have a rebuttal to that. Oh, me too. <laughs> Uh, My wife is from Malaysia, and it is something that's often served, although it is stir-fried with garlic and other vegetables at coffee shops. Uh, As a side note, coffee shops typically refer to enclosed roadside restaurants, which are different from the open-air haka stalls. And at the time, I made a note to just eat what I was served and not ask what it was and just enjoy. This has served me well whenever visiting her family, and I have passed this on to our son for whenever we go to visit. One time visiting her before we were married, her parents took us to a coffee shop for dinner. Food is typically served in large dishes and placed on a large Lazy Susan to share around the table. One of the dishes looked like just small chicken or squab legs. Uh, I was so used to seeing chicken's feet, which can also be delicious, served at dim sum, so I thought that was what they were. And needless to say, they were awesome. I think I had eight of them. I did ask her what those were, and her reply, if they're good, just keep eating them. I will tell you later. (laughs) Uh, She did tell me later that they were, obviously, frog's legs. Actually, our son has developed his mom's palate. He has tried chicken's feet and liked them at dim sum and stir-fried whole baby octopus. He even asked for more octopus, and there was no hiding what those were. I just wanted to share that story. Uh, Thank you for your podcast. My son actually asked to listen when he sees them in my podcast app. Michael. I apologize if we sounded like we were disgusted by frog's legs. I'm not. I have eaten them many times. But... I think our hang-up was people being served food they were being lied to about. Absolutely, yeah. I think <laughs> I told you this story. Um, when we record and we have the sponsor break, we have sort of a minute where we're we're just letting there be some space in the recording file for the sponsor break to make it easier to edit that in later. Um, and I told Holly the story about how uh, I was a vegetarian at two different points in my life for periods of years. And the second time around, I was working as a massage therapist at a, a fancy destination spa, and they had a party for their members, and the chef had prepared both quail and frog legs. And I was like, well, I'm eating that. Like, (laughs) sorry about my vegetarianism going out the window at this point to eat these frog legs. Yeah, my my hang-up was definitely serving people food that they would not necessarily appreciate eating without their consent in a sneaky way. Yeah. I mean, the flip, right, to remember... If you recall that story of Escoffier, is that a lot of times these people wanted to eat at a fancy French restaurant, but they didn't understand the menu and were apparently uh, not into asking what anything was. So they would just let the the chef and the maitre d'hôtel pick out the... (laughs) the menu, and then they would just eat it and be like, look at us eating fancy French food. Uh, So... You know, it's a little bit of trickery. Mm -hmm. It bothers me less knowing that they were sort of uh, just willfully ignorant on that. Yeah. Uh, but that is the scoop. Yeah, I uh, frog's legs don't sound disgusting to me at all. Nope. Nope. I've, I've Sign me up. Many times since I was a kiddo. 
I say sign me up, but also, I mean, at, at this point, I I have meat in my meals for far fewer meals than my non-meat meals. Me too. Me too. I've definitely cut back a bunch. Um, but then there are times I I know I'm breaking the hearts of all of the vegetarians in our listening group. It's complicated. Everyone has a different relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would like to write to us, you could do so at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us everywhere on social media as Missed in History. Uh, you can go to our website, which is mistinhistory.com, and you will find every episode of the show ever, as well as show notes for the episodes that Tracy and I have worked on and occasional other goodies. Uh, and we encourage you to go subscribe to the show if you haven't already. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or really anywhere you get your podcast. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 